The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome back to the second hour of the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and during the first hour today, we heard from our former second lady, Miss Lynn Cheney, who has just released a remarkable new book about our little-known fourth president, James Madison. Now, I say little-known because, frankly... None of our modern-day leaders from Kennedy to Reagan have made such a fundamental contribution to the infrastructure of how our government operates today. So it's it's really no exaggeration to say that there have been no uh, there would have been no constitution without Madison for reasons that are well documented in Cheney's book and uh, and also no two-party system. Um, but as most of you know that are listening today, I'm a sociobiologist by education and profession. And, and one of the fundamental laws in nature, which applies also to social systems, political systems, uh, is that we have to evolve or face extinction. So if you're a strict constitutionalist, which Miss Cheney is, uh, and, and you believe that um, uh, it would be nothing short of sacrilegious to, and, and dangerous to uh, further amend the Constitution or do anything to align it with modern conditions, um, then you're probably not going to like what I'm about to say here uh, because leaders like Madison – um, didn't exactly let fear get in the way of their decisions. And, and I don't think we should allow fear to dictate or guide us now. So in terms of evolving the Constitution, my opinion differs slightly from Ms. Cheney's, though I will acknowledge right up front that she is correct that it is a slippery, slippery slope and uh, one that is fraught with danger. Um, but Let's look at it this way. Even visionaries like Tom, Thomas Jefferson could not have imagined the world we live in today where events around the world, uh, they travel in picoseconds to every single mobile phone, uh, where the opinion of one uninformed individual can infect millions of other uninformed populations. And new false prophets are, are being born every day. Um, they couldn't have imagined a world where a 3D printer would allow anyone to produce a plastic gun that fires real bullets from the privacy of their own home or, or satellites in outer space and drones here on Earth that can monitor the activities of every single living human being. The Constitution of the United States was written with none of these things in mind. Uh, and yet the spirit of the document, the principles contained in that document, have stood the test of time. And through all of these developments, it's become the blueprint for a free society. Uh, but you've heard me say this before, and you're going you're gonna to hear me say it a lot. Uh, when, there, there comes a time when if the exact same passage can be used to argue polar opposite sides of a case, it means the language might be too generic, which means it, it has become subject to interpretation. And the more we allow courts to, in, and even the Oval Office, to interpret the, the, the greater danger we have of having a handful of wise men and women interpret what the entire country should uh, uh, should do instead of engaging in a national dialogue to determine that. Uh, this is how we ratified the Constitution, by the way. Um, and it's and maybe we need to re-ratify it now. Uh, we need to re-engage all the citizens of the United States by calling a, a constitutional convention to re-ratify and to amend the Constitution according to the will of the American people instead of continuing down this clumsy sort of ad hoc way that we're adapting the Constitution today, which uh, it boils down to one Supreme Court case at a time. 
So let's be honest, folks. We are amending the Constitution. We're doing it very awkwardly, uh, one case at a time. Um, And, uh, you know, once we deal with the issue of whether a fetus is a human being or not, whether the uh, right to own a gun entitles us to own a high-powered assault weapon with unlimited ammunition, whether freedom of speech uh, uh, covers um, the Internet. Uh, Once we deal with these things head-on, then the Constitution and our rights under it become crystal clear again, which, in my view, they just simply are not. Um, And uh, and I think that that creates a lot of uh, havoc. And in a related issue, you also heard Len Cheney address the fact that Madison felt that the states needed a strong central government. And he was instrumental in laying out the fact that the federal government would have jurisdiction over individuals, not just the states. Um, This was a very revolutionary and frightening concept, particularly given the fact that the founding fathers had just broken away from tyranny. No one was exactly eager to grant a central government powers over individuals again, uh, yet Madison felt passionately that the uh, loose affiliation between states could easily be disrupted. And so uh, he, he worked hard toward making certain that this wouldn't occur. Yet it's clear that when he saw overreach by Hamilton, Madison switched sides. He switched teams. It turns out he feared government growth and intrusion just as much as he did not having a strong enough central government. And and it wasn't a flip-flop, as some historians mischaracterize it, so much as it was his desire for a limited government, a strong and limited government. Uh, And when it came to Hamilton's assertion that what we needed was was to uh, finance government debt obligations with uh, paper by printing paper currency, uh, Hamilton faced no fiercer enemy than Madison. Uh, I wonder what Madison and Jefferson would make of the Federal Reserve today or uh, or of the growing government debt, which the Federal Reserve now finances. Um, Uh, The Federal Reserve is not a national bank, but it certainly is acting like one uh, these days. The main difference being that the profits from underwriting government debt go into the pockets of private banks and not the American people. And uh, since that's the case, well, why not call a spade a spade? Um, Why not create a national bank to replace the Federal Reserve? Oh, I'm... Look, I know I'm going to get thousands of emails on this subject before we even go to commercial break. But for a moment, I'm asking you to, to, to ask yourself a dangerous question, a very dangerous question. Um, would America be worse off if we created a national bank and replaced the current Federal Reserve? I'd like to know what you think. You can email me uh, at RebeccaCosta.com. Just go to the contact, go to our contact page and you can drop me a line. Um, on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. The best thing you can do for allergic reactions, believe it or not, build your immune system. What you're having is an immune system response. That means a defensive response. Your body's trying to protect you. So all those signs of allergies like watery eyes and a runny nose and stuffy head, all of those are signs that fluid is beginning to leak inside your head in response to this attack. The fluidization is one of the ways the body flushes things out. So when you tear, the body's trying to flush things out of the eye area. When your uh, blood vessels inside your head open up, your body's trying to flush things out of your sinus cavities. When you have mucus secretion, your body is trying to protect itself by secreting a protective layer between the allergen and tissues in the body. We don't want to suppress that. It's the body's protective mechanism. What you want to do is you want to boost the immune system. Number one thing to do is to reduce what's called the load. Think of the immune system as a dump truck and it has a capacity. When the immune system is working on problem foods, bacteria or toxins, and then all of a sudden it has another load that it has to work on, say pollen, it becomes overloaded. My number one digestive supplement for dealing with these seasonal allergies is a good probiotic supplement. Secondly, vitamin C, vitamin A is really important. Zinc and vitamin A work together. Don't forget about magnesium. Really, really important for the immune system. Make sure you're drinking a lot of fluids. That can also help flush toxins out of the body and significantly reduce the risks of an early demise. Hi, this is Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. If you'd like to get in touch with pharmacist Ben Fuchs, let me tell you the quickest, easiest way to communicate with the only pharmacist I know that isn't in a hurry to dispense pharmaceuticals. 
Sounds funny, doesn't it? A pharmacist who believes pharmaceuticals should be used as the last resort, not the first. You can reach Pharmacist Ben right now at RadioBenHealth.com. That's RadioBenHealth.com. And if you'd like to know more about unique nutritional supplements like Beyond Tangy Tangerine or the Healthy Start Pack program, it's the same web address, RadioBenHealth.com. Find out why Pharmacist Ben and millions like him are enjoying a healthy, energetic lifestyle by adding mineral supplements to their daily routine. Visit RadioBenHealth.com, RadioBenHealth.com, and get started today. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. We will make it easy for you. Hi, I'm Rocky Franich at Marty Franich Ford Lincoln on Watsonville's Auto Row. Get 38 to 42 combined miles per gallon on a new Fiesta, Focus, C-Max, or Fusion Hybrid. Lease a stylish 5-passenger 14 Focus for only $169 a month for 24 months. Or lease a 14-model C-Max Hybrid and turn heads around town for only $269 a month for 24 months. We also have a wonderful selection of Ford-certified pre-owned cars that are priced right and ready to roll. And we guarantee these cars for 7 years or 100 thousand miles. The leases are based on 10,500 miles per year. Tax title and DMV is slightly extra. The Focus requires $1,900 down payment. The C-Max requires only $2,490 down, but there's no security deposit required. And this sale ends June 30th. Marty Franich has served the community for over 70 years. Come to Watsonville's Auto Row and look for Marty Franich Ford and Lincoln. Hi, I'm Pamela Fugit-Hetrick, the host of Money Moves. Cash flows and money moves, but do you find money moving out of your wallet faster than it comes in? Do you wish you had a personal money manager? Do your best Dirty Harry imitation. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Go ahead. Make my day. Pretend that your finger is your gun. Quick draw, aim, point, and straight ahead. Notice that one finger is pointing out, but you have at least three pointing back at you. You're the best person to manage your own money. To get the tools you need for the job, listen to Money Moves Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. As your host, I promise that each week, Money Moves will leave you with some tips and tools to help you manage your own money. Thursday nights, 7 p.m. for Money Moves. Remember, that's Thursday nights, 7 p.m. for Money Moves.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, broadcasting from lovely Ann Arbor, Michigan this week. And Bill Graff is joining me from our studios in Santa Cruz, California. I I tell you, technology is grand. We can be halfway across the country, and we sound like we're all having coffee in the same room, aren't we, Bill? You know, it's really amazing how it works. It works really good when it works. (laughs) (laughs) When it doesn't work, it's, uh, you know, it's not really a thing of beauty. But uh, No, that's a scary thing when your engineer tells you, yeah, it's great when it works. <laughs> I thought we had all the kinks worked out, but we, maybe maybe not not quite so much. So uh, what do you think about that uh, discussion with Lynn Cheney today? I came to a fascinating conclusion while I was listening to Mrs. Cheney talk about uh, the relationship between Jefferson and Madison. Yeah. Here's, here's what I thought. I thought, you know, it's not that dissimilar to the relationship that her husband had with President Bush. Wow. Think about that for a minute. I mean, you know, many people, uh, you know, have said sort of in private that Cheney was, was you know, the guy thinking of the bigger picture. So, so you in- think Cheney was Jefferson and Madison was Bush? I you, you know what? I, I I really want to read the book to see if I'm right. Wow. You know what? I was thinking of a parallel, too, but I was thinking of Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. Well, it's a similar thing. Similar thing. You know, when it, many times, you know, you always talk about, you hear this, this expression of it was the woman, you know, a great woman behind a great man. But many times there are these duos who accomplish and achieve amazing things. And it is very clear to me that Steve Jobs would not and could not have executed early on in Apple's history without Wozniak, who could have cared less about putting on a mock turtleneck and standing on a stage and having people take pictures of him. Absolutely. I mean, he, he was not that guy. Well, you know, the same thing can be said for Hewlett and Packard. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, there are these duos where a great visionary, right, uh, who is really on the same page with a practical implementer, get together, and then these amazing things happen. And that is really the story of this lifelong friendship between Jefferson and Madison. Um, if Jefferson had some phenomenal idea, but it, there was just no way it was going to happen, Madison was able to pull him back and say, look, I mean, we can't afford the, the nation can't afford it. These 18 bad things can happen. And, uh, and really... Um, uh, they had such a great communication between each other that uh, Jefferson wasn't offended by it. He was appreciative of his friend's advice. Sure. And and the other thing that I found fascinating in the discussion with Mrs. Cheney in the first hour was the fact that Madison wanted to have uh, both sides of uh, the, the Congress be representative, and he was outvoted. Yeah, yeah. He, he, didn't, he was kind of shocked that the Senate— uh, uh, had less representation uh, of the people. And and uh, also another thing that he went to his grave very disappointed on is that he couldn't abolish slavery. Now, this seems like a very hypocritical thing because Jefferson and Madison had slaves. They owned slaves. But it truly, from their writings, you could tell they felt a deep obligation to have the Constitution extend to all citizens, which included slaves. Well, you have to account for the time as well. You know, uh, the country, the world at that time, I, I, I guess uh, it has to be said, you know, wasn't quite ready. The, the freest country in the world wasn't quite ready to pull that one off yet. But isn't it interesting that the country was ready to have an epileptic president? Yeah. Well, and, of course, and, nobody knew it. And that would it. never fly today. But but nobody knew that. because I think the reason he was elected as an epileptic president is because uh, we didn't have mass media. We didn't have the Internet. Nobody knew except for a few close friends that he had this issue. So don't you think that when you read these historical accounts and you find out what an amazing uh, job and contribution Madison made— does that make us feel more tolerant and less afraid to elect a potentially an epileptic president? Does th- it t- to you if you sh- read about this? Sure, and and uh, but I have a unique perspective. I had a high school girlfriend uh, who was epileptic, mm-hmm. and so you had a firsthand experience. Yeah, and they're you know they're not dangerous. They're they're normal people just like you and me. They just happen to have uh, you know an a, an affliction that uh, it's not really any different than somebody who has. Uh, you know, some other problem. 
Yes, but what about these people, these, I call them lunatics. I don't want to call them people, these lunatics in, in the United States who say, we can't have a woman president. And I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton specifically. I'm just saying that we can't have a woman president because they have monthly periods and their hormones go wacky. Well, first of you, all, you know, by the I mean, time... we have that. I mean, if you can't even get away with that... What are the chances you're going to have someone who's who's got epilepsy? Well, let's be realistic. If you're going to say that, and you already have, so I'm going to comment on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, by the time a woman uh, gets around to being president in this country, probably that's not going to be an issue anymore because I, I find it very unusual that we would elect anybody under 40, at whether they're a man or a woman, to be president. Uh, so they'll already be menopausal. Is that your is that your and, cure? And, and you know, we'll, we'll only elect menopausal women. No, but what are, I guess what I'm saying is, first of all, who have ma- no hormones. Okay, I, I now we to, have it pinned down. One of the qualifications for the no, female president is not, no hormones. What I mean is that that, that you're you're going to have um, you're going to have a situation where people are going to deal with whoever we elect as president, no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and, and we already have situations in this world where people don't treat each other well anyway and with respect anyway. And I don't think electing a woman to be the leader of, of any country is going to make a difference. And we already have several examples of women who were elected leaders. Uh, Benazir Bhutto, uh, Indira Gandhi, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Hey, nobody. But I'm ma- talking about this country. Yeah, but I, nobody. I'm even ma- talking about. Look, look. We just, you know, we've had a historical event. We elected a black president. Okay, uh, but are we prepared to elect an epileptic president? Look what we did to Eagleton. You know, um, I mean, he went for treatment for therapy. And, uh, you know, uh, we thought that, that, no, no, we can't possibly have somebody who had mental illness. Wouldn't you rather have somebody who was who had a issue with their mental health have treatment rather than not? Well, I think it keeps a lot of our leaders who need treatment from going and seeking it. So I don't think you want to go there. Look, look, I, look, <laughs> I think we have a prime example in this world of a woman who could lead. In Margaret Thatcher, I, I, you know, her country was every bit as uh, as difficult to lead as ours is. I see no reason why we can't have a woman president or a black president or a, a president of some other ethnicity, uh, a minority president, uh, because if they're good people, they're good people. Well, I will tell you one thing that you and I do agree on, and that is, I don't want a woman president. For the sake of just having a woman president, just as I don't want a black president just for the sake of saying that we had a black president, you know, and so that that that's where I have some trouble with people that are that know very little about Hillary Clinton's background or qualifications, uh, but they just want to see a woman president. And, uh, you know, and I, I understand that enthusiasm, but I do worry about it. I don't really care about gender and I don't really care about race. I care about qualifications. And if we could bring, elevate the criteria to that level, then all those other things don't matter. They become quite superficial. Um, but listen, thanks for joining me on this segment. I, I know you have to go back to the control room, but I, I always appreciate your opinion. We have to take another scheduled break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back with Luis Alvarez, who's standing by to tell us just how technology is changing the political landscape. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish.
Hi, I'm Stan Harrison. I've had great success with Andro 400. My libido has improved. I can now hike the distances that I did 30 years ago with more energy and stamina. Hi, this is Ron Johnson. I lost 13 pounds and my waist went from 36 to 33. That was eight years ago. I've maintained my weight at 172. Gained muscle and energy. Hi, my name is Tim Forehand. In just three months, I've dropped 51 pounds, down from 230 to 179. Plus, the weight come off in the stomach area. I'm Chris Wald. Since taking Andro 400, I have dropped 45 pounds. I'm sleeping better. My knee pain went away. I've had some lower back issues, and I've noticed that that went away. Andro 400, the safe, natural way to boost testosterone, gain energy, lose weight, and feel great. Call 888-400-0435. That's 888-400-0435. Or go to andro400.com. andro400.com. The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. Tune up your RV for summer with RV Service Center's pre-summer special. 20% off all parts and service. Call now. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or rvscsc.com. Here's Charles Friedman on government waste. I do think that it is indicative of the attitude government has toward us. Now, here is government coming down on Ernesto Polito, tree trimmer like a ton of bricks, and wanting to lodge criminal misdemeanor charges that carry fines of 15 grand and six months in jail, while at the same time we know of government employees who sit for six hours a day viewing pornography on their government computers. We know of other government employees who do run their own private businesses while at work on supposedly the taxpayer's dime. We do know of them falsifying time cards and we've seen the videos that they made at their meetings in Las Vegas in which they were openly contemptuous of their bosses, the taxpayers, folks like you and me. They realized they were urinating money away like it had no tomorrow and they were laughing about it. Oh, 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 isn't this funny? Peel me another grape. Don't miss the Charles Friedman Show, noon to two weekdays on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Luis Alvarez, the CEO of Alvarez Technology Group, is joining us now. And uh, I want to thank you for being with us today, Luis. Good to talk to you. Nice talking to you, Rebecca. It's always fun to be on the radio with you. So, you know, I was mentioning earlier that the framers of the Constitution could not have even imagined how much technology would change how leaders govern the country. Am I off base? No, 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 not at all. Um, you know, take the Internet. When it comes to politics and the Internet, you frequently face the old chicken or the egg discussion when you argue the impact of one over the other. Of course, you know, politics and the political process predate the Internet by thousands of years. But it isn't the case that the Internet is just another medium for, for the message. Technology has always been an enabler of the political process since the early days of the printing press which let politicians express their views and opinions to the masses in their own words, um, to today, a, a world where instant communications are possible using Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, and all sorts of other methods. So is the Internet different um, from, say, the printing press or, or just a faster, more widespread version of it? Well, I'd have to, to say the Internet is, is really different. It's not just a faster way to do the same old thing. I mean... Um, the proof of that is a way that's transforming politics, and it's not necessarily for the better. Uh, the ability of the Internet uh, to allow instantaneous communications across the globe uh, lets small groups, and, you know, small pockets of people who may be spread across the country unite and have a voice that is usually bigger than, than they are. The, this aspect of the Internet caters to the extreme elements of 
all political parties, allowing them to find kindred spirits who share their own views, uh, which only emboldens them to share their views even more forcefully. It also, however, creates an echo chamber effect where these small factions can concentrate on the collective thoughts they share and ignore the rest of the world. And, and that's not a healthy thing. Yeah, well, we see that with terrorist groups and, you know, violence groups. I think William Shatner actually uh, spoke out against these these uh, websites um, and web hosters that are allowing these groups to meet and stir each other up. You know, I remember in college studying a thing called the tyranny of the minority, which the Constitution tried to safeguard against, but which modern technology and the way big money has found its way into politics makes pretty challenging. Yeah, and, and you know, it can be it can be a little depressing. But on the positive side, the internet has created a sort of democratization of politics, where even the most naive and uninformed voter has the ability to communicate their thoughts and, and beliefs, creating you know somewhat of a level playing field that is quite frankly confounding established politicians and political parties. Uh, one of the unfortunate effects of this, however, is that younger people in the U.S. are opting to shun conventional politics and instead, you know, focus on other causes. And that's reflected in the fact that a plurality of voters, uh, 46 percent, identify themselves as independent away from either political party. You say that's unfortunate, but it, it could also be a good <laughs> sign that they're not buying into traditional rhetoric. I, I'm an independent myself, and you know, I like to listen to both sides and choose on any on an issue by issue basis. Uh, but that makes it a lot more difficult for a candidate to get my vote. Well, I'm with you. You know, I'm an independent myself. But you know, that brings up a good point. Politicians are still grappling with the use of technology as a way to communicate to their constituents. And you know, while most of them are very active on social media as a, as as a service to communicate, they, they do so kind of weirdly and awkwardly. They, they really don't understand that what you put out on the Internet, you know, can't be erased. And, and a small mistake can be instantly magnified by the, uh, the power of online communications. We have so many examples of politicians putting stuff, you know, stuff out there and they just don't understand. You can't erase a bad tweet or, a, you know, a Facebook post. Um, on the other hand, you have some politicians like the Obama team in the last uh, two national elections that really understand that the Internet is a powerful tool for micro-targeting, which is a way to deliver a specific message to a small group of people and uh, influence their decisions. They, they used analytics, you know, big data, as we've talked about in the past, in a way that no other election team had ever done before to excite their voters and ensure that they came out on Election Day. In fact, some people have claimed that the analytics of national elections has gotten so good in dissecting polling data that the results of a presidential election, for example, will be a foregone conclusion before the, the voters even go to the polls. And if that's true, it could fundamentally change future elections in, in a way we, we don't even understand right now. Wow. So even before the votes are taken, we'll have a darn good idea. Well, you know, pollsters try to do that now. They stand outside the lines and ask everybody what they, who they mm -hmm. voted for, and then they, they analyze that manually and try to come up with some conclusion in terms of who's ahead. And it's not scientific, but um, as we start to micro-target, obviously uh, we're going to get to become better and more accurate predictors. So what's the bottom line here? Well, I think the bottom line is that the Internet is not just another technological evolution. It's not, you know, the latest version of the printing press. It's really a wholesale revolution in communications. And the effects it's going to have on the political discourse in this country are, you know, we, we're yet to realize what, that, what that's going to be. And it's going to be a while before we really understand it. You know, in particular, the thing you were mentioning about targeting the messages you know, we're getting to a point now where you can go into a, a specific chat room, which might be, um, you know, tall, short-haired women who like to knit, you know, and, and, and just completely tailor your, your uh, campaign to tall, you know, short-haired women who knit and say, you know, yeah. knitting should be a, a right that every American citizen has. I mean, you could tailor a message to them and recruit their votes in a way that we've never been able to do before. Yeah. And, and you know, on the other hand, what you find is a lot of these small groups are so insulated from reality in, in their conversations and their discussions that they're they're shocked by the outcome of elections sometimes, and and, and they're completely confounded by it, uh, and sometimes even angry to the point of you know frustration and and uh, uh, 
um, just unhappiness because they thought that they were talking to the people in the know in their own little group. And of course, what they thought was going to happen was for sure going to happen. And when it doesn't. Right. It gets out because you say one thing. I think this happened to Romney said one thing to one group. And then uh, it came out and he said another thing to another group. And he thought that there were firewalls there and that one group wouldn't know that he'd said something different to another group. But as you point out, the Internet doesn't care. No, no. And and especially now when, you know, uh, as uh, we know, everybody carries a smartphone and they can record everything or take pictures and instantly post that and and get that out and, you know, into uh, the social media world. You have to be so careful now about what you say in public and who you say to even in private sometimes. Yeah. You know, this reminds me of a great book I once read about this woman who uh, it's the movies. Uh, the book is called Immortality. Uh, and uh, um, it, it it was a great book because it was about a young woman who wanted to live forever in history. And she decided mm-hmm. sh- that she should become uh, Guter's, uh, the famous uh, G- German author's uh, lover. And so she sort of just, uh, you know, seduces him and gets him to write her all these love letters, which she collects. And when he dies, she takes him to a publisher and she said, I was his one true love. What's funny about it is uh, she was like 12 or 14 at the time, and he doesn't die till she's many, many years later. And as she opens up the letter, she realizes he never really said he loved her. You know, it could be misinterpreted because it was so generic. And so she decides that she'll forge the letters um, uh, in order to say what he surely meant to say. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, later, of course, she gets caught and she does achieve immortality as a scoundrel. <laughs> yeah, not, not in the way she'd intended. Yeah, not absolutely. the way she intended. So there you go. You have all this technology and it can have a tendency to backfire. And, uh, you know, you just got to be careful. Um, it, these politicians get caught all the time. Uh, they forget that everybody's got a smartphone and can videotape them saying one thing to one group to try to target their message. And then, you know, it, it backfires when they try to say an opposite message to another group. Well, that's all the time we have today, but thanks for coming by, Lewis, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Rebecca. This is Lewis Alvarez from the Alvarez Technology Group reminding you that when it comes to technology, forewarned is forearmed. Now, uh, we have to take another break, and we'll be right back with Professor Stephen Wagner from the Monterey College of Law following these messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard and... Planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley. And then the extension of that went to grapes, and here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data, and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. 
Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. Hey, SoCal High Class of 1974, this is Deanna Del Bianco Lindgren, and I want to give you information about our upcoming 40th class reunion to be held on Saturday, October 4th at the Santa Cruz Dream Inn. Go to www.SoCalHigh1974.com to register right away and obtain more detailed information. That's www.SoCalHigh1974.com. See you there. When it comes to selecting a doctor, dentist, or an accountant, we all want to know who is going to take care of us, right? So before you select a gunsmith, I invite you to drop by Del Valle Gunsmithing and get to know us. Hello, I'm Ray Parga, owner of Del Valle Gunsmithing in Marina. I am very proud of the reputation we have earned in our 30 years of service to the Central Coast community of gun owners and soon-to-be gun owners. Drop by and get to know us. We are at 224 Rheindollar in Marina. Here's what you will find happening right now at Del Valle Gunsmithing. Mention you heard Ray on KSEO and he will cover your California gun registration fees on in-store gun purchases. We all want to know who is going to take care of us, right? When it comes to your handguns and rifles, choose the family-owned gunsmith with a 30-year reputation of excellent service. We are Del Valle Gunsmithing at 224 Rheindollar in Marina. Drop by Del Valle Gunsmithing and get to know us. 831-384-1911. That's 384-1911. 1911 or Del Valle Are you a mom? Well, we have a Mr. Mom on KSCO. Mr. Mom here. On my show about parenting, you'll hear from best selling authors, psychologists, dog trainers, bail bondsmen, experts you need to know. We laugh, think, and plot about how to scheme our way out of our next parental miscue. Don't miss the next Mr. Mom program on KSCO, Sundays at 1 p.m. That's Mr. Mom, Sundays at 1 p.m. Welcome back to the Costa Report. We have Professor Stephen Wagner with us from the Monterey College of Law. Thanks for joining us again. How are you, Stephen? Great, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to join you as always and to be able to join in what this focus on President James Madison has meant to me. He was a man small in stature, yet giant in impact, wisdom, and insight. Actually, that's right. At just five feet four and a hundred pounds. Uh, now, I have to believe that as a practicing attorney and law professor that uh, Madison's prints are all over what you do for a livelihood. Yes, indeed. And, you know, Madison contributed and impacted to so many facets and developments of the law that they can't all be listed in this segment. So I thought mm-hmm. it would be helpful to just focus on the Fourth Amendment, which really jumps out to me as the one that's probably most compelling in terms of his impact. It's commonly challenged in courts, and this is the right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures and the so-called warrants clause. And this was Madison's idea, and it's quite clear that his policies back at the inception date of these protections still make their way into courts uh, today. And I really like it as a practicing attorney when policy and tradition is included as part of the dialogue and discussion in court. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, actually, um, uh, we just recently uh, heard that uh, you're not allowed to have the police uh, require to look at a cell phone and who you called uh, without a warrant. That's right. The cell phone ruling that now calls for and requires a warrant mm-hmm. is another example where the high courts definitely went back to the foundation and the bedrock principles behind uh, the right to be free from unreasonable intrusions by the government. And it's really clear, if you go back historically, that Madison had that in mind and had that kind of wisdom and insight in mind. Same is true of the NSA proposed plan to collect data on our cell phones. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's interesting that uh, he, this was such a radical idea that that a citizen had a right and that the government was not allowed to intrude on that individual's right. 
federally or from a state standpoint, this was a really revolutionary idea. And I think we forget about the fact that prior to that, uh, you know, the monarchy could determine anything, could do, have well, the right to do anything, take your absolutely. house. Uh, uh, marry your daughter off, a- absolutely anything. So to to set up a, 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 a country of laws and to say, uh, actually, you don't have a right to search anything uh, unless the courts give you a warrant is, it was such a radical concept. And, and he first developed that in the Virginia Constitution, which then, of course, became the, uh, the basis for the U.S. Constitution as well. Now, when you talk about the NSA surveillance data, um, you must be talking about their their proposed plan to collect metadata and then to archive phone activity uh, uh, records so that uh, for the purpose of national security is basically the case that they're making, right? That's that's right. And the proposed need to do that collection, of course, is national security. And without saying or or opining as to whether or not that's uh, a laudable rationale or not, I happen to believe that national security is obviously very important but what's interesting is the level of intrusion involved and the randomness of the searching was challenged by the high court. And the justice in that case actually quoted uh, President Madison. And the quote was, James Madison, chief architect of the Bill of Rights, would be aghast at what the government is doing now. Mm-hmm. And I really think that speaks volumes about really just the impact and the respect for the origins of the law. And that's what I find so fascinating about uh, how laws were made back at the, in, in that day. And as you mentioned, just how bold and novel that was, and the fact that today they still resonate in terms of soundness and, and logic. They do. And as you heard Lynn Cheney uh, say during the first hour, uh, Madison and Jefferson would be appalled right now <laughs> at at the amount of intrusion uh, that the government uh, both and let's not just pick on the federal government, state governments as well. The amount of intrusion that has been allowed because clearly what they had in mind was small government. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. So now it sounds like you're acknowledging the value of policy application of the laws, like like the value of digging in and looking at the actual rationale behind each of these uh, principles. I do see that as a, a high value and policy-based arguments in the law because it really shows that the lawyer or the advocates have the ability to understand origin and why laws were developed. And what I find repeatedly is that it's usually about the right fit for the right circumstances. And I really think that it's fascinating that the development of a law like the Fourth Amendment, which was uh, developed by James Madison, uh, still carries so much weight today. So anytime a judge asks for rationale or policy-based reasoning and stops a lawyer in his tracks by saying something like, what would Madison say, counselor? You know, I just love those kind of moments because it makes you think about policy rather than just reading out of a statute uh, and demonstrating that you know the origins, I think, is really critical to effective advocacy. It is. And when you combine that with the actual physical challenges that he had of dealing with epilepsy, right, and being a, a rather diminutive man, right, uh, that's another reason to be in awe because I think, you know, what happens to me is I always go back in time and just figure or think of uh, whether I personally would be able to adapt. You know, I, when every time I think of Lincoln on back to Washington, just, you know, the general conditions that they uh, operated and governed under is just unbelievable. Oh, the physical hardship. You know, he rode all night through snowstorms, freezing to death to get to the Constitutional Convention. And, uh, you know, what? We, we get out in cold weather without a jacket. We can't last for five minutes. That's so, right. You know, uh, so, yeah, I think it's a good point that uh, he did endure a lot of physical hardship, and so did all of our leaders in Washington at that time. Well, we are running out of time, but I want to thank you for stopping by to share those legal insights with us today. You gave us a lot to think about. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. This is Stephen Wagner speaking to you from the Monterey College of Law, reminding you that when it comes to the law, a little knowledge is not a dangerous thing. 
And that's our program for this week. As always, if you have a question or a comment to make about our program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know how you felt about our conversation with Lynn Cheney and Louis Alvarez and also Professor Stephen Wagner. Again, Lynn Cheney's book is titled James Madison, A Life Reconsidered, and Reconsider We Should. Kennedy once said that Madison was the most underrated president in American history. And once you're finished with Cheney's book, you're going to understand why. He was really a man that was focused on the doing. And uh, and like so many people who would rather do than argue and take credit, um, uh, he is not nearly uh, as acknowledged for his achievements as he should be. And by the way, if you missed the full interview with Lynn Cheney today or any of our other weekly guests, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And while you're at our website, take a moment to check out our new video of the first and only public debate on the Affordable Health uh, Exchange, um, uh, the, whole, uh, the Affordable Care Act, and how it's affecting public and private insurers six months after the fact. The debate's hosted by Fox News personality Juan Williams, and I am one of the members of this controversial and informative and very entertaining panel. So if you haven't seen the video yet, go to Rebecca Costa, that's my name, dot com, and it's right there on the homepage. You can't miss it. Uh, and if you want to know what's really happening to the health insurance business, this is the one video that you have to watch. Um, I also want to remind those of you who have not picked up your copy of The Watchman's Rattle to click on the image of the book and order your copy. Do, do it now. This is the only book that shows how complexity over-regulation by the government and more data coming at us than in any other time in human history is producing gridlock in a mass confusion between empirical facts and opinion. Not only are our leaders confused, you and I are also having a hard time making rational decisions because we can't separate fact from cleverly disguised fiction. So get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Go to our website and do it right now. My, my guest next week is former general for the U.S. Army, Mr. Barry McCaffrey, who will be with us to shed light on the Bergdahl hostage exchange from a military and national security perspective as well as the recent controversy over veterans' care and what this means to military morale and recruitment. Don't miss General Barry McCaffrey next week, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 